You're listening to Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney from the nation's capital in Washington, D.C. Welcome back. We're continuing our really important conversation with Gordon Chang. He is, among other things, the author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War. There may be another kind of war in the offing, though, as he warns in Newsweek. We were just discussing with him some of the developments in recent days, some of the findings, some of the evidence that is coming to light about our tax dollars being used by Dr. Anthony Fauci to support research of what is an illegal Chinese biological warfare program. And Gordon, in your Newsweek article, I'm so appreciative, you reported on something that we've discussed here from time to time, but I think it can't be said often enough. Remind us of what was written up in this Science of Military Strategy publication of the Chinese National Defense University in 2017 that is really chilling with regard to Chinese intentions and the kinds of capabilities that we've just been discussing. The 2017 edition of the Science of Military Strategy, which is an authoritative publication of China's National Defense University, actually talks about a new type of biological warfare of, quote, specific ethnic genetic attacks. In other words, what they're talking about are pathogens that will leave the Chinese alone, but will attack others. And so um, it's possible that the next pathogen from China will be a civilization killer. In other words, it will leave China as the world's only viable society. And and this um, reference in the science and military strategy is by no means an isolated one. So, for instance, there's also a 2017 book called The New Highland of War, by a retired Chinese general, Zhang Shibo, which also talks about specific ethnic genetic attacks. So this is something that is very much on the mind of Chinese military planners. We know that from that 2015 book that was highlighted by the Australian newspaper, The Australian, um, which is basically 263 pages of China's biological weapons doctrine, which talks about um, how they will intend to how they think that World War III will be dominated by biological weapons. Let me remind our audience that there is a treaty on the books to which both the United States and China are parties. We do not have a biological weapons program. We do some research on defense against biological attack at Fort Detrick and places like that, to be sure. But that's permissible under this treaty. What is not permissible is the sort of work that China is engaged in, as Gordon has just described, let alone actually having a doctrine to use such weapons to eliminate whole populations. And Gordon, in addition to those other references that you've just made, there was one reported speech given by the then defense minister of China, Chi Hao Chen, I believe his name was, back in 2002-2003 timeframe, in which he described Deng Xiaoping, the general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party back in the early 1990s, setting in train a biological weapons program for the purpose of depopulating the United States and colonizing it. Uh, We've discussed this before, but it's so stunning that this is not raising alarms, let alone the sorts of things that you've just discussed, against the backdrop in particular of we're witnessing the effects of a biological weapon, it seems, intentionally or unintentionally, having 
devastating consequences around the world. What are we to make of the fact that the West and the United States in particular seems uh, not to be connecting these dots as it should? To me, this is unimaginable. I mean, when we, you know, historians look back at certain events in history and they say, well, why didn't, you know, country X or country Y defend themselves um, when it was clear that, uh, you know, disaster was coming? Well, we were at one of those points. You know, we have, uh, you know, a president who spent two hours on the phone with Chinese leader Xi Jinping in February and did not once, by his own admission, did not once raise the issue of COVID-19. Um, so, uh, clearly, Biden does not want to talk about this, um, but clearly we, we have got to, because, Frank, whatever the source of SARS-CoV-2, the pathogen that causes COVID-19, whether it was a biological weapon or not from the get-go, we know one thing 100%, and that is Xi Jinping turned it into a biological weapon by making decisions in December 2019 and January and February of last year. Um, those decisions um, resulted in the, the uh, pathogen um, leaving China to escape from China. Xi Jinping made sure that happened. He lied about transmissibility. He forced countries to not impose travel restrictions and quarantines on arrivals from China when he was locking down his own country. And in the interval, he had, he had bought up uh, personal protective equipment all over the world so that we would be even less capable of protecting against this stuff as it became evident that it was upon us. Yes, and even after lying about contagiousness and finally admitting it on January 20 of last year, they then propagated another false narrative that the disease was going to be no worse than SARS, the 2002-2003 epidemic that infected about 8,400 people worldwide killed 810 or so. And we know this had an effect because we heard Dr. Deborah Burks, the White House Task Force Coordinator for Coronavirus, at her March 31 press conference actually talk about how she did not take protection, uh, precautions because she was looking at the data from China and she said, I didn't think this was going to be any worse than SARS. Also, Fauci himself publicly talked about being misled by the Chinese uh, about the disease. So clearly China turned this into a biological weapon by making decisions that they knew or had to know would lead to the spread of this disease beyond China's borders. And that's the best case. The worst case is they actually did it all deliberately, and we may never know whether that was in fact what happened. But what we do know, as you say, Gordon, is it was bad enough that they simply exploited this and uh, did it to such murderous effect. Let me turn to one last thing with you, Gordon, um, because we're almost out of time. There was an interesting development in Europe uh, last week, I believe, when the European Parliament put on ice a much-anticipated trade agreement with uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Tell us what's up with that, and is this likely to be a stay of execution or a commutation of sentence? Um, the European Parliament delayed the and frozen the implementation of the Comprehensive Agreement on Investment, which both the EU and China announced in December of last year. Um, and this would be basically the, the corresponding um, agreement to what we in the U.S. call the, uh, a bilateral uh, trade investment agreement, the BIT. And so um, this is um, an enormous development. 
Um, the European Parliament did this for a number of reasons, including China imposing sanctions on EU officials and parliamentarians, and that was over um, the EU um, concern over uh, what was going on in Xinjiang with the Uyghurs and the Kazakhs. Whether this is unfrozen or not, I don't know. Um, in order to unfreeze it, China would have to lift the sanctions on those EU officials and parliamentarians. I don't know if Beijing is willing to do that or not. Um, so this is sort of like a week by week. I tend to think that this spat will go on for quite some time, and we will not see the CAI, as it's called, the Comprehensive Agreement on Investment, for quite some time. Well, I think that's a good thing. As it almost certainly would mean Europe is doing what we are doing to a greater degree, perhaps, than it is at the moment, namely underwriting the threat from China which is the height of folly, it seems to me. And I'm hoping that we're going to begin seeing people in this country saying, we don't want to do that either, certainly not with our personal investment dollars, which is happening now on an epic scale. Gordon, let me turn to one last thing. We're going to talk more about this with Reggie Littlejohn momentarily. But the Chinese announced on Sunday, I believe, that uh, they were changing what had been initially a one-child policy from the two-child policy, which they adopted in recent years, to now a three-child policy. What's up with these changes, and what are their implications, as you see? Well, Chinese officials are starting to recognize the depth of their demographic problems. Um, they are on track to have uh, to suffer the worst demographic decline in history in the absence of war or disease. They announced, uh, and I don't believe that this number, but they announced uh, China had a population of 1.41 billion last year. Um, if trends continue, um, they probably will lose about a billion people um, in the, by the turn of the century. So China could have a population of maybe 450, maybe 480 million uh, when um, 2100 arrives. And this is just a function of aging populations dying off? It's a function of um, their, their population structure, which is very old. Um, so you have a large number of Chinese will die. Um, you don't have very many being born. Their total fertility rate, which is the number of children per female of childbearing age, they say is 1.3. That's probably um, exaggerated. Um, 2.1 is replacement um, China probably has a replacement rate of 2.2 because of infant mortality, but whatever China's replacement rate is, it is the real rate is well below it. And that has all kinds of knock-on effects in terms of both the size of the old cohort versus the younger generation that needs to support them, and as we'll talk about with Reggie, a disproportionate number of young people males among that population without females, and all kinds of societal dislocations that have arisen. And we'll discuss with Reggie as well why the Chinese are doing this and continuing, even under a three-child policy, to enforce it all with womb police. That and more coming right up. Gordon, in the meantime, thank you very much for staying with us extra time today for all you do to inform us here and elsewhere about the challenges we're facing from the Chinese Communist Party. I know you'll keep up the great work at Gatestone and Newsweek and elsewhere. Come back to us again next week. Reggie Littlejohn is up next. Straight ahead. <laughs> 